We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. You know, we hear the term now so much with the New Age, New Thought Movement, the word mystic. And it's come to mean a variant bunch of gobbledygook about what it actually means. So today I want to talk just a little bit about what it means to live the mystic's life. Many people say that the mystic is always kind and loving and positive and even self-sacrificing. This leaves out some of the things that we've heard about the Buddha and uh, some of the stories we hear in the Bhagavad Gita and it leaves out some of the some of the uh, stories we've seen about Jesus where he threw the money changers out of the temple. So we have to rethink that. And we have to wonder whether or not morality or what we think of as good is what makes up the mystic's journey. Actually, the mystic's journey is an inward journey, and it's one that might surprise us with its fierce and persistent longing to serve every single aspect of self as if it were a starving child. We tend to believe that those who are on the mystic's journey are going to be saints in every sense of the word. But we might be surprised to learn who in our world is actually on the mystic journey for it's done so silently that it might not even be noticeable. In fact, it turns out that the mystic's journey doesn't really have anything whatsoever to do with terms we know as good and bad, morality and ethics. It's unsettling in its depth and utter peace in its essence. So today we're going to be talking about what it means to actually be a mystic. When we, when we first came across the term mystic, we thought of it as somebody who was an ascetic. And an ascetic is someone who lives by himself, herself, and does not encounter the world very much. And it is seen, the ascetic lives that way in order to focus solely on spirituality, on the soul, on divine essence, on God, on whatever you want to uh, put there in that blank space. But uh, the mystic is, uh, the mystic was somebody who could not be in the world, could not live in the world, not could not as in cannot, but could not as in that was the way it had to be. Uh, so when we think of the mystic today, we still hearken back to that old archetypal version of what a mystic is. But I think one of the things that's happening today is that we're having to bring spirituality onto the sidewalks and streets of our world. We're having to 
look at life from the perspective of what am I encountering in my everyday world, not just what am I encountering inside of me, but what is my inside doing with and about my outside. Um, and so that whole thing has helped us to begin to the process of what I call the mystic's journey. But before we go into that, I really want us to see what the mystic's journey is not. Um, it is not necessarily an ascetic. You can live in the everyday world, be on the streets of America or uh, uh, um, any street in the Brazil, Venezuela, Australia, England, any street in Europe, and find that you are still walking the mystic's journey. Um, however, and the mystic's journey doesn't necessarily depend on textual uh, references. It doesn't depend on us having a sacred text to go by. There are many people in the world that say, unless there's this text that says it, it must not be so. You're just going by your own little, you know, visions of the world. Well, interestingly enough, and, and we'll talk about this some more, interestingly enough, I think that we find that very often when people are on the mystic journey, they encounter the same kind of information. And when they finally do share it with other people, it's very similar with the, the information another mystic has gotten. So, so when we say you can't encounter it without a sacred text, I think we might be missing some of the point of the mystic journey. A sacred text might have been written by a mystic, and it may indeed hold grand and eloquent truths, but doesn't mean we have to have it in order to have the mystic's journey. Um, somebody, once upon a time, there was nothing written down. And there were still, I'm imagining, mystics on the earth at that time. So um, so there's another thing that it's not. It's not necessarily somebody who follows the sacred text. It's also not somebody who's all caught up in morality. Now, I want to be really clear here. What I don't mean is that the mystic is going to be end up being a serial killer or somebody who just runs rampant over society's laws or uh, or rules or mores. Although... There will be times when the mystic will disobey law or rules or mores um, because it's not appropriate to obey them. Um, when we, we talk about Jesus, Jesus was accused constantly uh, by the Pharisees and Sadducees who were the sort of legalistic um, moralists of that time. They, they accused him constantly of disobeying the law. And uh, on one occasion, he said, hey, look, you know, you're telling me not to break the laws of the Sabbath, but David ate from the bread, uh, uh, the bread, the shoe bread, the uh, bread that was supposed to be eaten by the priests in the church because he and his men were hungry. What was wrong with that? Um, the stories he cited for them were to say to them, look at your own history. Look at, your, look at the, the words you cite in your sacred text to, te- to find out if, in fact, I'm really wrong here to go ahead and take care of myself on the Sabbath. Um, so there were lots of rules that he disobeyed. One of the main ones that he disobeyed was to tell them that he was the divine self, uh, what I call the divine self, what the Bhagavad Gita calls the divine self, um, because they accused him of blaspheming when he did that. And he said back to them, well, you know, don't your texts tell you that God said you are God's? Isn't that what your texts say? And in fact, you can actually find that in, in Psalms, um, that, it, that God said, you are gods. And he was talking to the people. So was he blaspheming? 
No, he wasn't. He was doing what his mystical journey led him to do, but it was questioned by the world. So in terms of morality, I'm not sure we can say that the mystic is always going to be somebody who follows the moral codes that we have set out and assigned to ourselves. I'm not even sure that the mystic would think in terms of good and bad. Those are terms largely used by us who live in the duality trance state. The mystic's journey is one where someone is leaving behind the duality trance state and moving on to a, to a, a field of awareness, a field of consciousness in which everything is one. Um, and that, that one central fact has been one of the primary things that mystics everywhere all over the globe, re- hailing from all religions, have said that when they get to the place that they might call silence or stillness or quiet or sacred space, they always come back with the same information, and that is everything is one. So that's an interesting phenomenon. Um, and in, indeed, we find in the root language of, of many of our sacred texts and even the Bible that oneness is what is being uh, taught by Jesus and by others. But we've used a language, by translating it into English, we've used a language that takes that meaning out of it. And perhaps that was deliberate. Perhaps that theory of oneness was a little too scary for some. But, so okay, so, so, so the mystic is not going to be somebody who will, who will live primarily out of, du- of that dualistic mindset, which has, in fact, created our notions of good and bad. We think those notions are inherent. They are a part of our nature, but they are not. In fact, we, we teach the idea that guilt is a part of what we should feel in order to um, make sure that we're always doing the right thing. Guilt is our persuader. It's our, our conscience. Guilt and conscience are often considered to be synonymous terms. So that if you're feeling guilty about something, well, you should be feeling guilty about that something. And that's your conscience telling you you've done something wrong or you're about to do something wrong. So, you know, people very often put the word guilty in front of the word conscience. Oh, is that your guilty conscience talking? Uh, so we, we, conscience has become synonymous with the word guilt. And so we motivate our behavior sometimes out of guilt. Oh, my gosh, you know, I, I can't say no to my mother who seems to need me on every Sunday afternoon, even though I really don't want to go over there and take care of that issue that she wants taken care of. And not only do I not want to, but when I get over there, she's abusive and rude, and she doesn't really need my help anyway. So... Why am I doing this? Because I think I should, because guilt tells me to. That is not something the mystic on a mystic's journey would continue. Well, they might do it some, but they would eventually confront themselves with the fact that that's not authentic, and they would, not, they would stop doing it. So the world might say, oh, my gosh, that's your mother. You should be over there helping her. Forget how bad of a mood she's in. Just go ahead and be positive and take care of it. Take care of your business. That's your mother. But the mystic might say, that's not authentic. So... When we, when we encounter the idea of the mystic, we have to think differently than what we've been taught to think in terms of what is good, what is bad, what is moral, what is ethical. And that, that whole thing might get us a little, in a little bit of trouble with people who don't want us to break those codes. But in fact, breaking those codes is not about, for the mystic, it's not about breaking the code. It's about doing what's authentic, doing what's true, doing what, what seems to be the soul's calling. 
And so uh, as we talk about the mystic's journey today, we're not going to be talking about a good person who always does the right thing. Lots of times when people talk about Mother Teresa, for example, they refer to her as a spiritual mystic. And in synonymous terms, they refer to her as a saint. And uh, so I, I would question, I don't question that she was a very wonderful human being who did a lot of marvelous things on this planet. I don't question that at all. But I question our labels for her. I'm not sure she would even agree with those labels. In fact, what she says very often is she did what she should. She did what her duty was. She did what she was obligated to do. She served out of obligation. I'm not sure that's the same thing as love. Maybe it is, and maybe her terminology means that she loved and felt obligated to that love. I don't know. But but just the term itself, obligation, has nothing to do with love. So I don't know whether she was on a mystic's journey or not, and the term saint and mystic are not synonymous terms. Saint carries with it a, a connotation of perfection, a connotation of sinlessness, and mostly it carries with it a, a term of a connotation of selflessness. And I have major problems with that word because not just in terms of its semantics, but in terms of its psychology. Because what it seems to say is that we should attain to a place where we are selfless. And if we can do that, then we are finally mystical, saintly, spiritual people. And I'm, I'm going to really disagree with that right after this break. So stay tuned for that. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about one of the most difficult to put into words subjects on planet Earth, the mystic's journey. 
I'm having trouble with words today, and you will hear that throughout this radio show because the mystic's journey is very difficult to talk about. But we said just before the break, we were talking in the first segment about all the things that were not true of the mystic and uh, that the mystic might take a different path than some of those things that we typically uh, think are associated with the mystic's journey. And one of those things is the concept of selflessness. And we said that Mother Teresa is often considered to be one of the most selfless people on the planet. And that is a label that is used for her quite often throughout the media and uh, churches and all kinds of uh, street speak. So uh, I, I, I don't know that she wasn't selfless. I don't know that she was. I never met her. I don't know her. So I can't say whether or not she was. But that term is acclaimed as a term that we should aspire to. We should aspire to be selfless people. And if we're not selfless, then we're selfish. Those terms are so extremely opposite to what is true about the mystic's journey. Um, the, 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 self, the idea of selflessness is based on the concept that we can put others before ourself. And that is an impossibility. It is not possible for us to put others before ourselves. We cannot do, do the things for, first, we cannot do the things for other people that we can do for ourselves. We can't heal them. We can't help them. We can't, uh, we can't change their minds. We can't make them stop drinking. We can't motivate them. We can't get them to think different. We can't get them to do different. We can't do any of those things that we spend loads and loads of energy trying to do. All the while, we're not doing the things we can do and are fully capacitated to do, which is take care of ourselves, feed ourselves, um, and I mean by that, feed our souls, our minds, our hearts, and our bodies. Uh, we can motivate ourselves. We can change our behaviors. We can change our thoughts. We can change our beliefs. We can learn to love ourselves. We can uh, transform in turn, uh, ourselves into more of who we really are. We can do all those things. But a good majority of us, a good majority of us are spending our time not trying to do what we can do, but trying to do what we can't do, what we have no capacity to do. We cannot, for example, heal another person. We may lay hands on them. We may offer them Reiki. We may do therapy. We may do massage. We may do uh, uh, medicine. We may do alternative medicine. We, we can do all kinds of things, but all healing is self-healing. So if the person does not receive that healing, then nothing's going to change. I can offer them the healing, but if they don't receive it, nothing will, will change. All healing is self-healing. All help is self-help in that same way. I can offer the help, but if they don't receive it, it makes no difference. So you see, when we think about selflessness, what we're, we're saying is that we should be serving other people first. And doing for them all those things they cannot or will not do for themselves. And, I, and that makes us good people. And that's how we define ourselves as good people. That's a truly selfless person. That must be a good person. And what I say is if you're selfless, you are working absentia, in absentia. You, you're not really there. If you're selfless, you don't have a self. Now, it's never really true that you don't have a self. You always have a divine self. And you may have an identity. And your identity may be, I am a selfless person. But that doesn't make it so. 
if I have an, an identity as a victim, that doesn't make me a victim, except that I think like a victim and walk like a victim, and act like a victim and, and believe like a victim. That doesn't mean I'm truly a victim. It means I'm truly a divine self who in this particular incarnation is choosing to perpetuate a victim identity. So, uh, so when we talk about selflessness, what we're trying to say is that a person who can work around the self, who can repress any kinds of desires of the self or any needs of the self and put the self away so that we're not conscious of the self at all and operate solely out of what other people think and need and, and all of that, then we're good people. And I'm saying, well, then are we really alive? Are we really truly alive if we're not here to experience life? If we've put that so far away that we can't even feel it, sense it, taste it, touch it, are we really alive? You see, the thing I came here to be is me. I came here to be fully me. Now, fully me is not necessarily my identity. I might believe myself to be superwoman, for example. And once upon a time in my life, I did believe myself to be superwoman. But I might believe myself to be superwoman. I can leap tall buildings in a single bound and, and fly faster than a speeding bullet. And I might even act in ways that prove to myself that I actually am superwoman. But am I really superwoman? No. And eventually, superwoman's going to get exhausted and need some other way of living. And when that happens, the divine self is there to take up the, uh, the, the uh, next rung of that race that we're racing so when we are trying really hard to absent the self put it away what we're doing is denying breath to the very essence of who we are we're not really operating from authenticity we're operating from some agenda that says we should be doing this for other people we should put other people ahead of ourselves we should repress my ourselves so if i'm repressing myself and and living out of some other identity that's other-focused, then who's at home to experience my life? So that's the question, and, I, and, I, and that's why I think that selflessness is just the opposite of the mystic's journey, because in the mystic's journey, the mystic wants to really feed the self. Why? Because the self is the one and only thing that I absolutely, 100%, totally own. It's the only thing I absolutely have is me. And by me, I don't mean necessarily an identity. I mean my truest essence, my authentic self, my divine self. That's what I mean. And so that is what I own. If I pretend that away, then I'm, I'm pretending not to own the one thing I do own in order to own something I don't own, which is other people's lives. Now, when we say that, a lot of people are so black and white about this whole thing about selflessness and selfishness that all they hear is, well, if you're not selfish, you must be selfish. And if you're not selfish, well, maybe you're working or striving towards selflessness, and that makes you at least halfway a good person. Actually, the truth is that neither one of those two words have any merit. We're not selfish if we take care of ourselves. Now, it's true that we can be narcissistic, and that can be an identity that we live out of. But even that is not true of the divine self or the authentic self. But it, we can live out of that identity. We can live out of an identity that means I'm totally absorbed in everything that, the, that is about me. And anything that's about you doesn't exist. And so then, you know, people might say, well, you're a selfish person. I'm a selfish person from me. It's so narcissistic. 
Uh, okay, yeah, well, that's loosely termed use of the word, but nonetheless, we we uh, we can live out of an identity that is completely self-absorbed, and and by that I don't mean the authentic self-absorbed. I mean an identity self-absorbed. Um, nonetheless, when we call someone selfish, it's usually because we want something from them, and they're not giving it to us, and therefore they're selfish. And uh, so it's interesting to ask, oh, wait, 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 now, uh, you want this from me, and I'm not giving it to you, so who's selfish here? Good question. The, the, the name of the game here is for us to get out of black and white thinking and start thinking more in terms of silence, in terms of stillness, in terms of uh, an inner essence that speaks to us without saying a word. Um, and and it's really hard to put that into any other terms than, than what I've put it in. And if I find any along the way, any poetic terms, I certainly will use those. But um, when we are tuned in to that deepest essence of ourselves, who we are, we find that we are absolutely compassionate for ourselves, for the identity that we live out of, as well as for other people and their blindness. The identity that we live out of is blind to who we really are. Who we really are is divine essence. That is what all of us truly, absolutely are. We are divine essence. There is oneness in everything. Everything is one. Everything is divine essence. Everyone is divine essence. That's who we absolutely are. But we, we are blind to that most of the time because we live out of the duality trance state in which we think we're separate from the divine. So we put on an identity or a mask and costume in order to keep ourselves alive because we believe that we have to survive. Of course, it's not true that we have to survive. We are surviving for as long in this incarnation as we are here to do whatever it is we came here to do in this incarnation. And then we move into the next phase of our development and we take on another incarnation later. So that's what's really happening. But we're afraid of death. And so because we're afraid of death, we... Uh, put on an identity. The divine self is not afraid of death. The authentic self is not afraid of death. But when we look in the mirrors given to us by our family members who say, don't die, don't die, don't die, we need you to stay alive because we need you, then we get afraid of death too. So it's passed on generation to generation, this fear of death. Um, And because that is so, we live out of these identities. But the, the mystic is not interested in the divin- in those identities. It's not interested in deciding what I'm obligated to in the external world and what I'm not obligated to in the external world. It's not interested in wh- how other people perceive us. It's not interested in our perceptions of ourselves as successful or unsuccessful or selfish or not selfish. Those are all terms used in the dualis- dualistic trance state. But the mystic says, I am. I simply am. I am that I am. It's Beity. So that is the mystic. That's what we get to in the silence, in the stillness. We get to this place where it's just simply that energy that says, I am that I am. And it says it over and over and over again. And that's what we hear. And what we get from the I am that I am when it speaks is this clear uh, total informative package that tells us that we are here in this essence to be here in this essence. <laughs> and we're not here to uh, uh, drive ourselves to some success 
or to accomplish great things on planet Earth, although a mystic can accomplish great things on planet Earth and often does. But that's not why he's, he or she is here. He or she is here to be here. <laughs> and in being here, they also happen to accomplish great things. There's a lot of people out there today talking about purpose um, and books written all over the place about finding your purpose in life or the purpose-driven life or the, you know, all about life's purpose. I'm going to be teaching in a workshop uh, at the uh, uh, Association for Research and Enlightenment uh, at Edgar Casey Foundation in uh, September, September the 7th through the 9th at the Four Purposes of Life Conference. And so, and Dan Millman is going to be there among others, and uh, we're all going to be talking about purpose as well as I'm going to be talking about uh, the law of attraction as well. But uh, this whole thing of purpose is going to be uh, talked about and discussed. What does it mean and what doesn't it mean? And I think what it doesn't mean is that we have to find it. (laughs) Um, We may experience some sense of meaning as we're walking through life in the mystic's journey and we may feel at that moment that this is a sort of purpose-driven moment but that doesn't mean that purpose is what we're here for we're here to be here that's why we're here Um, so we'll talk some more about that and also some other concepts about who the mystic is and what the mystic's journey looks like including the dark night night of the soul we'll be back in just a moment This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness. Network. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. I'm live. Thank you. 
Okay, we're back and we're talking about uh, the mystic's journey and what that means to be on the mystic's journey. Uh, We talked just before the break about purpose and what purpose means and what it doesn't mean. Um, And what I say it means is that if we are living the mystic's journey, we are here to be here. We are here to really uh, enjoy, express, be a part of, be oneness with the experience of living. And uh, that experience in and of itself is enough. Uh, People talk about going to heaven all the time, you know, what it's like to go to heaven and what that will be like. And they imagine all kinds of scenarios, none of which include a purpose. (laughs) It's interesting to me when people talk about heaven. Well, they're not going to be doing anything with a purpose up there. You know, they'll learn to play the violin and do artwork and they'll run around in the fields and they'll, you know, play kissy face with somebody they love and it'll just be glorious and wonderful, but it won't be anything about purpose. Well, guess what? That's what it's really like down here too. (laughs) We just think that we can't have that till we get to that other place. Here we have to have a purposeful life because if we don't, we're failing. But the mystic knows that there is no such thing as failure. Everything works together to bring us to coalesce into this understanding of who we are, consciousness of who we are, the depth of who we are, the essence of who we are as divine beings. So that, uh, that sort of belies the whole concept of purpose. Um, the dual, dualistic version of purpose is that we have to work hard and become successful and leave something behind and, you know, leave a legacy for the world and, you know, put something on our gravestone that's meaningful and that's what we do here on planet Earth and then we have a meaningful life and, you know, 80 years from now, all that's forgotten, 20 years from now, 10 years, 5 years, 1 year most of the time, it's forgotten, it's overdone except by the people that cared most about us and so, uh, that that is not why we're here. We're here to experience life, and that's the mystic's purpose. Um, the other piece is that, particularly in the New Age, New uh, Thought movement right now, and particularly with regard to the law of attraction and our uh, first understanding of it, which, as you know, I feel has been very limited, and we need to uh, revise the law of attraction to bring the soul into it. Uh, I don't want to go into a lot of depth about that right now, but what I do want to say is that, particularly right now, with all of our with the law of attraction influencing what we think and say and do with regard to uh, our journey, our spiritual journey, what we tend to think is that the mystic's journey should not have any quote unquote negativity in it. It should not contain pain. It should not contain longing. It should not contain any kind of that sort of hunger for meaning. It should not uh, have a dark night of the soul. If it has a dark night of the soul, well, that means that you've thought something negative or you've drawn this negative thing to yourself. Or maybe you're just thinking too many negative thoughts and therefore you should stop doing that. And if you would just stop doing that, then you would not be having this dark night of the soul. And I will declare to you, uh, uh, today, tomorrow, and forever, that the mystic would say that's just completely complete fallacy. That is not true. Uh, the mystic would say that, uh, of course, there is pain. Of course, there's hunger. Of course, there's longing. Of course, there's, and by hunger, I don't mean starvation. I mean a hunger, a hunger for the soul, a hunger that longs to get deeper and deeper invested in the soul. Um, it's fierce. It's fierce. And what happens as a result of that is that we begin to feed the hungry parts of ourselves. We begin to really uh, be present with those parts of ourselves that still live in the duality trance state. And we begin to feed those parts of us that have not yet 
come to understand themselves as divine. We, we take care of those parts of ourselves as if they were a starving child who needs us to go very slow in feeding them and who needs us to, to give them the right kinds of nutrients so that it will grow and begin to flourish and then thrive. That's what our, our, we need to do in terms of the mystic's journey. So some would say, well, that's just selfish. You're just thinking only of yourself. No, you're living. You're living as you came here to be. And that's what we each came here to be. Now, does that mean that you only contemplate your navel, navel for the rest of your life? No, that is not the mystic's journey either. The mystic's journey is one in which the mystic is compelled, initiated even, by the soul. The soul runs the life of the mystic. The, the, the mystic's life is not run by the duality trance state. The mystic's life is run by the soul by divine self. And so divine self urges the mystic to go be present with someone who is suffering. And the the person does it because the soul urged them to do it. How does the soul urge? It doesn't say, well, you should feel guilty because that person's over there suffering. It doesn't say, get off your lazy butt and go over there and help your neighbor. It doesn't say, if you make your neighbor happy, you'll be happy too. It doesn't say any of those things. It says, my heart, my soul is feeling this intense, passionate urge to go be with and be present with that other person. And that is what compels us. That is what impels us. That is what urges us, initiates the very actions that we do. So our thoughts begin to be initiated by the soul. Our emotions begin to be initiated by the soul. Jesus said, I do nothing of my own initiative. No, that's not what he said. He said, I can do nothing of my own initiative. That's how aware of his own divine self he was. Because he knew that he, that, that he was powerless over the power of the soul. That the, that the parts of him that were still belong, still somewhat belonged to the duality trance state were not, were incapacitated before the power of the soul. They had no power. The soul had the power, all the power, and would initiate everything he did. Everything he said, everything he thought was initiated by the soul. That's what we're, that's what the mystic is longing for. So that Everything, when the mystic steps out of that place where the soul is initiating and into a place where duality is initiating, here comes that fierce hunger again. Here comes that deep longing that says, I must be back into awareness, into consciousness of who I am as divine being. And to live for very long without that sense of powerful, potent connection with divine self, with the soul is is to starve for the mystic. It feels like starvation. And so this person who lives the mystic life, whether he lives on the streets or lives in your home and sleeps in your bed, or whether he or she is um, living a separate life or living a life that is so crowded with other people that you would imagine they could never find a single second to be by themselves, this person is inwardly initiated regardless of what you may perceive on the outside about what's going on in their life, the mystic is inwardly initiated. 
the authentic self, the divine self, the God, if you want to call it that, the soul, whatever you call that, is, is that it becomes the initiator of the person's life. This person, as we said earlier, is not so concerned about uh, morals, but it's also very much not concerned about whether or not they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing or, the, or what's evil and what's good. The mystic sees beyond those words that we label life with because the mystic understands that we label life that way because we live in the duality trance state and because it's so much simpler to give life a label than it is to really experience what's going on. So, for example, we look at the serial killer and we just say, oh, he's just evil. And we're done with it. We can just wipe our hands of that and be, we don't have to think about it anymore. But if we really go to what might be going on in that person, the magnitude of blindness and of distortion that is going on in that person, it, uh, it makes us feel more. It makes us wonder more. It makes us more curious. It makes us want to understand and and that doesn't mean you become some bleeding heart liberal as the terms are thrown around and you want to let everybody out of jail, <laughs> let the serial killers out on the victims. Uh, no, that's not what it means. It means that we see it from a different perspective other than whether he's good or bad. We see it from the perspective of blindness and seeing truth and and fallacy. We don't see it from goodness or badness that's just too simple it's too easy to just give it a label and be done with it and that's what our concepts of good and bad have enabled us to do they've enabled us to just you know toss it aside just don't think about that anymore it's it's bad so don't think about it i don't have to think about that it's bad it's, it's negative it's for, who wants to hear the news about how some child got kidnapped out of her home who wants to hear that nobody wants to hear that that's negative don't turn on the news let's don't hear that Really? Is that compassion? That's, that's your definition of compassion? And that would be what you'd call selflessness? Because we do. We say we're selfless in the same breath we say we don't listen to the news. We do a lot of doublespeak when it comes to trying to understand our spiritual journey. Why? Because we're living in the duality trance state. Not because we're bad or less than. Because we live in the duality trance state. So we're going to come back with a final segment and explain what it is to live the mystic's life. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network.
Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. This show has been sponsored by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, dedicated to expanding science beyond conventional paradigms. Founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, IONS is a nonprofit research, education, and membership organization whose mission is supporting individual and collective transformation through consciousness research, educational outreach, and engaging in a global learning community in the realization of human potential. If you would like to join that learning community, you can do so at www.noetic.org. So we're talking today about the mystic's journey, and I said before the break that we were going to say what the mystic's journey is really like. So it doesn't look like any particular life. You could be a mechanic or the president of the United States. You can, be, uh, you can live in any career that you would like to choose. Um, you, it, it, you could be extroverted. You could be introverted. It doesn't matter. The mystic's journey is not about how it looks outwardly. It's about an inward journey. The mystic's journey is about uh, an, a longing to be present with who we actually are, to have a union occur between the outer me and the inner me so that I am, tra- I am the same person outside that I am inside. It is to have a union between um, my emotions and my thinking, my, my spiritual presence and my, uh, the things that I do and say and think in the world. These things are married when someone wants to live the mystic, mystic life. And the marriage itself might be a journey. We might have to walk toward that marriage, just like the bride walks down the aisle. We might have to walk toward that marriage. Uh, and that might mean walking through some difficult times. It might mean walking through uh, an awareness that uh, there is a part of us that is intensely angry at God for not being there when we thought God should have been there. It might mean that we go through a period where we feel that we cannot attain to that divine self. We cannot reach it. We, it, we feel empty and it's absent and we feel lost. There are times like that in our lives, 
why do we go through those times? Not so that we can just say, well, I've been through the dark night of the soul. And it's interesting. I've heard people at conferences saying that just, you know, I've been through the dark night of the soul, you know, like I know about that. You know, it's like a badge. We need to have a little badge that says I've been through the dark night of the soul. Uh, Actually, what it's more like is, uh, is, is like uh, that part of the journey that says this is what I'm longing for. And it makes us acutely aware that we're longing for it. And we cannot not long for it in that period of time. And what the it is, is that unique, individualized presence of the divine that we feel within us. Now, by presence of the divine, I may or may not mean an external being as well as our own internal beingness. Um, how you think about that is very individual and how how a mystic might think about that is very individual. But what I said before is that what we come to in that silence, in that stillness that we go to when we finally arrive at that presence is we, we, we become very much aware of who we are, where we are, and, and, and that sense of ourselves is divine and we recognize a oneness and it is light, and it is darkness all wrapped up in one. It's not, um, it's not right or wrong, good or bad. It's, it's all of it wrapped up into oneness so that we're not uh, skewed in one direction or another. We are simply being. We are simply being. And in that beingness, we are present with ourselves in a way that we're not when we're split off into all the different compartments that we split ourselves off into. Um, and we are aware, we're intensely aware of what's going on. So, you know, people talk about going home, for example, and how it is to go home to mom and dad. And, you know, you just suddenly feel like you're a kid again. Well, for the mystic, when they go home to mom and dad, it's not that they don't feel like a kid again. It's that they're intensely aware that they feel like a kid again. And in that feeling, they draw forth from it. Uh, something that is present with the divine. So it's like we put the feeling together with our sense of ourselves as divine beings instead of saying, that's a bad feeling, I shouldn't have that, and that's just going to make me feel small and inadequate, so I shouldn't have that feeling, let me make it go away. Now the mystic would say, welcome feeling, welcome to my day, and let's see what you have to offer. Let's see what, what there is here for us. Not necessarily that there's any strict purpose in it, but that we can be with it. Just in the same way we would go and feel that compassion and passion and go be with a friend who might be troubled. We might just sit there and hold their hand and literally just sit and listen. And that's all we do. But that presence shifts things around inside. And that's what's going on in the mystic. We're shifting things around inside to match who we are. So, so we're not sending feelings away. We're acutely aware of those feelings and we're allowing them to be and being with them and and not set, not telling them they're bad not telling them that oh that's a negative thought you can't have that because you might attract something negative we're just being with them and sometimes those feelings begin to talk to us and sometimes they tell us things that we cannot know any other way except by listening to those feelings and we've talked about some of those ways in previous previous dialogues or monologues here on the on the show and and uh, what they mean is that they give us information about maybe even the next step we might take but sometimes we're just with them and that's it 
That's all there is. And there may not be this great big message, life-altering message that we get, but there could be, and we need to know that. And so we don't send them away. We allow them. And uh, in the process of allowing, we encounter some stuff that's really painful. We encounter some stuff that's uh, not easy. And yet, we are, we are allowed to discover more about who we are in that process. And we're allowed to just be with, just be with. And so, uh, the, the, the mystic does that. The mystic has a capacity to be in himself and also be fully aware of what another person is doing at the same time. So you encounter another person and you're sensing and feeling what's going on with that person. It doesn't mean you're psychic. It just means you're getting what the communications are. Some people say 93% of our communication is nonverbal, and I totally agree with that. There's so much going on in, in an encounter with another person that is never said. And, but the mystic can perceive that, what's not said. And can respond to it with authenticity, with transparency. And in so doing, they offer something unique and invaluable to that dynamic. And whether that other person takes it or not, it's up to them. But they offer it because they're responding to the real, the true, the what's really going on between you and I. And not just what's, what seems to be going on by our verbiage. Um, so the the mystic can be present with him or herself and simultaneously present with another person. That is a, a, a skill that comes as a result of being present with the self, present with the identity, present with whatever comes up inside of us. Uh, but we don't have that skill unless we learn to do that. Once we learn to be present with another side of ourselves, we can be present also with other people and uh, and really hear what's going on. So it, so the mystic is uh, least of all concerned about right and wrong, most of all concerned about being really run by the soul, really initiated by the soul, um, and not worried about that in any sense that you're going, oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm not being run by the soul, what am I going to do? But is very acutely aware of the senses and the feelings and the, what's going on inside when perhaps we might be for a moment run by the duality trance state. And what that's like, and what it's like to come back to being initiated by the divine self. I'm very acutely aware of those things. So, most of all, I guess what I would say about the mystic is that he or she is conscious. That word gets thrown around a lot, so I hesitate to use it. But what I mean by when I say conscious is they are aware of what's going on inside of them. And sometimes when some, we when we miss something. And it presents, you know, then eventually, because we become more and more and more open to receiving what's there, another thing presents that we didn't know was there. And then we can begin to love and receive it, and that's how we transform. So the mystic's journey is one of inner transformation, and it has an impact on the world. But that's, the, the, the job is not, there's no job there to impact the world. It's just being and living. So that's what I want to say about the mystic today. Next week, we're going to get the opportunity to talk with Dr. Joe Dispenzia. Uh, and and uh, so you don't want to miss that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.
Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.